Hello, everyone. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by my Patreon. I have a Patreon community. I'm very excited to share it with you all. In my Patreon community, I have workshops around conscious leadership, anti-racism work, intentional well-being, intentional, joyful, mindful movement. I have a wonderful journal to keep you on track for your own personal well-being. We do conversations. There's a book club and a reading list and merch. We have the cutest merch over on Patreon. So I'm going to thank myself for sponsoring this podcast. You can check me out at www.patreon.com forward slash Diane Bondi. I hope to see you there. Welcome back to the Intentional Wellbeing Podcast. I'm having a legit fangirl moment with Dr. Raquel Martin. Woo, 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 woo. I am saying your name right, right? Raquel? Yes, you are. Yes. yes. I was going to say fangirling is reciprocated. I was just telling you, like, I'll follow you too. So. Oh, I love it. And I, I try to share your stuff as much as possible because it is hilarious. And uh, I'm going to read your bio, but before you get into it, I liked it when, I like how you deal with people who troll you. And I'm always surprised when people who are clearly not educated or smart think because they are, and I'm going to say it, white, they can just come for you and say stuff to you. And my favorite one was like, you know what, if you don't get my sense of humor, you should leave now because it's just going to get worse. And I was like, you know? Like one person asked me, this guy, he was like, what, what do you think your toxic trait is? And I was like, oh, that would probably be my attraction to men. And he didn't even get it. And I was like, oh my God. I do not have time for stupidity. Oh my God. You know, I was like my attraction to men. Cause in this very moment, mm, toxic. Mm -mm -mm. And he didn't even, he was like, what? And I was like, "Mm -hmm. Mm -mm -mm. Mm mm-hmm. You don't get my comedy, leave. Listen. nobody's paying you to be here i ain't your supervisor we ain't friends i put free content up on a public platform and if it offends you there's the door don't let it hit you on the way out as my mother would say don't let the door hit you on the way out one of my followers said like this is kind of becoming a space she said she didn't like one of my posts and she was like this Uh, is a space where i don't feel it's like very helpful and i was like you know i totally understand that and yeah, I, I said it like, I was like, if you ever feel like there's a space where you feel uncomfortable, then you should leave. You know, the, I said, and even if that is my space, because if you believe anything that I say, I'm saying if you have the ability to leave uncomfortable and unhealthy situations, even if it's me, then leave. And someone commented, said, Dr. Martin said, you can go, I, you know, and I wasn't being rude. I'm just saying like in all situations of the world, there's so many situations where we can't leave the unhealthy aspect of it. There are so many places where we are just stuck. Because we need that job or we're in that relationship or we live with that parent and we can't afford yeah. our own rent, right? So if you are on my page and my page is annoying you, leave the page, block me. You ain't yeah, gonna... please. You For know, your, your peace, please. Right? And I think some people think it's like rude. And I'm like, no, I'm trying to let you know that there are actions and everything. I think you expect me to say I'm going to change and I'm not. Oh, yeah. That's not gonna happen. It's and the thing that I, yeah, I think that I leave is like you know, and you know what? It ain't a bus station or an airport. You don't need to announce. Like right. you can just go. Like there's, 
I used to follow you and you used to be, and I'm like, mm, people change. Like I had this very same conversation. I have a YouTube channel where this will appear on the YouTube channel for those mm -hmm. who like to, to watch. I have a YouTube channel and somebody reached out to me. I've been following for you for years and I noticed you're putting up your podcast on YouTube. And I feel like, you know, as a white person, she was having her whole guilt and processing her feelings about things I talk about, about being a black person in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I because I have literally hundreds of videos on me showing you down dog and all the yoga poses. And I'm like, okay, I've shown you all the yoga poses that I care to show you. Feel free to buy my two best selling books. If you need to know anything else, I need to move on. There's only so many ways I can show you how to do a down dog. And I want to talk about other things because yeah. I'm not one thing. Okay. So can I expand my horizons? And I was very kind. I said to her, I understand, but as a person who continues to evolve, these are issues that are important to me and my community. And if this does not speak to you, I appreciate that you followed me for years and I've pivoted to something else that you're not familiar with. Yeah. If you are not ready for these conversations, that's completely okay. This may no longer be a space for you. So feel free to follow the other 700,000 yoga teachers on YouTube. That's the whole thing. It's like if someone's being reasonable, like someone will correct me on a language I use. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Correction. Yeah, me too. No, or saying like, oh, have you thought about it this way? Love that. But they didn't like the way I mentioned something about like race. I was talking about colorism and they didn't like my perspective. And I'm like, oh, that's not going to, that's probably not going to change. Now you correcting me and giving me some more knowledge and it's like a give and take, but they were just like, I don't like this. And I'm like, well, you should probably do. Mm -hmm. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. As Sonia Renee Taylor says, be blocked and be blessed. And I'm, yeah. I'm for that. I'm for that. All right, let's jump into it. I want to say we just got off to a start and I, and I told Dr. Martin that we were going to just kiki. So let me read your bio. Um, you are passionate about empowering and educating individuals on their mental health and well-being, which is why I love you. I also love that you're a black therapist, hard to come by. I'm also a licensed clinical psychologist, researcher, writer, podcast host, professional speaker, and professor. And not to mention, she's got children. And I mean young children while you're doing all this, which blows my mind. Um, you like to say that each of your roles provide you with a unique opportunity to build knowledge and to inform others in the way that you engage. Uh, you're a practicing psychologist. You work uh, directly with patients to help them identify and resolve emotions, beliefs, and thoughts that are impacting their mental health. You're a researcher. Like, I don't know where you have the time to do all this. You're able to contribute uh, the, uh, to the growing narrative about mental health, racial identity, and trauma-based interventions. Uh, as a podcast host, she's also got a podcast, everybody. Don't worry, I'm going to link all this stuff in the show notes. Um, and a professional speaker, it provides you an opportunity to reach a wider audience. Uh, to talk about the importance of therapy, mental health, and in the intersection of culture and well-being, which I love. And you specialize in the intricacies of the Black experience, trauma-based interventions, coordinated community resources, and coalition building. You're and now finally, you're and you're a professor, okay? As if you didn't already do it all. You're a professor, which grants you the ability to be a mentor, an educator, and an advocate for the next generation of clinicians. Welcome to the podcast. You are the essence of intentional well-being. If intentional well-being was a picture, it would be Dr. Raquel Martin. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, I love it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Girl, I'm reading your bio and thinking, I thought I was busy, but my kids are grown. Like, I have adult children, so 
Oh, yeah. Well, mostly they're teenagers, but we the oldest nine months. I bet you they think they adults though, don't they? We got <laughs> nine months. I got nine months and three. I don't know how you're doing that. When my kids were that age, I wanted to roll up in a corner and cry. Like it was and I, I did and that I, too. Oh my yeah. gosh, I do that too. Okay, mm-hmm. good, good. Yeah, I did. I, I think I shared a post about how like Stacey Abrams talked about like, you know, it's not about, she doesn't think of uh, work-life balance. She thinks of work-life Jenga. And I like that because it will crash down. Yeah. And then I cry, I, I build it back up. Mm-mm. The tears, the tears. I was just crying at 6 a.m. the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget what I was feeling like a bad mom for that moment. Oh Feeds yeah. That's built in. That is, you know what? The bar was set real low with my parents. <laughs> I have West Indian parents and they're like, are you crying? I'll give you something to cry about. Like there was, there was no interaction. There was, my mom was great. Very, very loving, very there. She had her moments. My dad was completely, he was there, but he was absent and emotionally unavailable. And as a Gen Xer, you just dealt with it. Like there was no therapy. There was no talking to anybody. Your guidance counselor was going to help you pick out your courses for the next for you know, college. That was so it. That was they it. weren't interested in hearing any of your personal drama. And when you were doing poorly in school, nobody was interested to find out the reasons why you were doing poorly in school. It was just like, you are not trying. You are not showing up. It didn't matter that you were in trauma at home so these are all new new things for those of us who might be gen xers or come from a previous generation now we're learning about adhd and autism and childhood trauma like all of those things were not a thing when i was growing up so i'm reliving all of this now and i've been excited because not only do i have a black therapist i'm of uh, barbadian or Bayesian descent she's also from barbados so she understands the caribbean culture and the Canadian culture, and she she lives in the city where I grew up. Like I don't know how I found her, but I'm hanging on for dear life because she's just oh, a better version. I mean that it's not even just like a specialty with like a clinician, but even just them being able to understand your experience, right? Because just because someone is black doesn't mean they'll understand like you're black. You know, like there's generational yeah. differences. There's yeah. so the African diaspora is. I mean, come on, right? Yeah. So like, listen, I, how happy were you when you found? <laughs> Then I, I latched onto her and she's like not even 30, but she presents as a very wise maternal person. And li- mm-hmm. literally I start, she's on Instagram. That's how I found her. Um, I was like, I read her bio and I'm like, wait a minute. So I slid into her DMs. I'm like, is there a chance you might be taking new patients? Cause I think you're the therapist for me. And she said, not right this minute, but let me circle back when I've got some space in my calendar. And I said, I will wait, I will mm-hmm. wait. When she, and the funny thing is, I live here in Essex County, Windsor, Ontario, Canada, and she went to school here. So the the parallels are so strange. She's just a lot younger than me. She's a solid, you know, she's not even 30, so she's a lot younger than me. And so when I talk to her, there's like a fresh perspective, right? Because Mm -hmm. I have been in therapy for most of my life on my own accord for it's a long sorted story. And so to have somebody who has a new fresh perspective and who comes into therapy, like perhaps closer to her educational background, I think she's not tired yet. Um, sometimes people get set in their ways. I've always had white men as my therapist. So it, it's an interesting dichotomy to have somebody who's younger, who is from the Caribbean, who is black, who has lived in all the places I've lived in. There's something super magical about that. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, it sounds magical. And you mentioned such a good point with the fact that, like, what you mentioned was, like, 
burnout, like how some, like when you get older, some people get burnt out. Um, even just like with having compassion fatigue, like the significant aspect of like with my training period was in trauma-based interventions, um, which means you have to be exposed to patients with trauma. And there are patients that looked like me because I was in Baltimore at Hopkins and it was just, it's, it's fatiguing. And that's just the training because like within the training, I have a bachelor's, I have two masters, I have a PhD, I did internship postdoc at Hopkins. You have to have like a couple thousand hours to apply to internship. Then you have to have a couple thousand hours of like clinical care to apply to postdoc. And then you have to take your licensure and, and you're dealing with patients this whole time. And depending on what your specialty is, I mean, trauma from your patients, let alone trauma in the world. um, There's so much compassion fatigue and even more so with like black clinicians, because you're dealing with helping your patients through racism and discrimination in life. And then when you leave session, you have to deal with racism and discrimination in life. So I feel like black clinicians and like people of the global majority overall tend to get burnt out quicker because you're dealing with your own discrimination. And the demand for us is, it's just higher. Like it's just higher because just like you mentioned, like the magic, the magic of finding someone who like, okay, you know, here's a start. Oh, oh, you went to the same neighborhood. Oh, oh, you're from the same place. Now I was gonna I was gonna rock with you before. But now, now. Now. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like, oh man, I kind of wish we could be friends, but I'll take you as a clinician. It's fine. We'll do that. You know, like it's just I feel like a lot of people forget that. And I I, I always like exp- I, I try to help people at times find clinicians and I totally get their frustration with like I can't find anybody, everyone is booked. And I'm like, yeah, because we're we're at a space where people are more so comfortable with stating, nope. I'm going to work with who I want to work with. I'm consistently being invalidated by this one population. And I'm going to be honest, for a lot of people, it's hard to work with individuals who may look similar to the individuals who are oppressing you at work or at school. So like, it's, I was like, you know, people are like, where's your wait list? It's not, I don't have a wait list because I don't even want to disrespect y'all like that. All right. No (laughs) point in even. There's no point in waiting, y'all. Like, I've been working on patients for a little little bit. I'm not even gonna play y'all like that. Yeah. Don't even let's not even do it. Every time they ask, it's like I don't have one. I don't have oh, one. Oh, wow. yeah. I just I am so impressed by you because you have done so much at such a young age. It's kind of a forced thing, though, right? Like it's yeah. there's like no option. I, I very much see it as most people, yeah. most Black people and people of the majority, we get into our field, but it's part of it. I personally believe to have like a a strong form of like identity development for people of color. There's some aspect of activism in our, in our life, right? Most, it's necessary. You right, it's necessary to meet, like, to meet some aspect of identity development achievement. It's activism. Most of us mm-hmm. do it through our work, mm-hmm. right? Like think about how you were talking about, you know, I do yoga and then I'm talking more about like my experience, which is activism because activism is also showing their different narratives out there. So you can, you know, most people don't feel like they can be what they can't see. Right. That's absolutely. So like I had to like streamline through because in my training program, I would be like when at the PhD level, I'd be working with these clinicians and like, we're all like really competitive and doing these great things on the score. And then I'd see their clinical work and I'm like, that, that seems kind of racist. Do you think that seems kind of, you know, and they can't see it through their lens. And I'm like, I got to knock this. I got to, I got to do this program so that I can have at least 10 less traumatized people a week that I see, you know, cause like y'all not getting this. Y'all are not getting this. Y'all just don't get it. Um, Like I very much feel like if I never went to Fisk, like at HBCU to get my bachelor's in psychology, I never would have been a psychologist. Really? No, if I didn't go to HBCU, if I didn't have my initial training in psych, be 
from like a black psych lens to talk about like the advocacy that psych could have and the way it could like change different aspects of the world and like bias and stuff, I never would have been a psychologist because the typical psych classes, say if I went to a PWI, it's all about like Freud and Jung and Piaget and stuff like that. You don't hear about black racial identity development. Dr. Joanza Kunjufu, you don't hear about Dr. Rob Williams or Kenneth and Mamie Phipps Clark. You don't hear about any of that. You don't hear about liberation psychology. So like, why would I try to be something I don't see if I don't know it exists? Versus like at HBCU, my culture or some semblance of my culture is the core curriculum. It's not the elective. I don't have to take another class to hear about how like policy connects to blackness. That's in the syllabus. Like there's no, I don't have to take another class to do that. Like I don't have to hear about like black identity and psych in another class. That's in the syllabus. Oh my gosh. We can talk I, about that in week three. Like, you know, like, so, <laughs> like, this I am envious of that perspective. Like, that's amazing. And I think that's great that you had that opportunity to go to an HBCU and get like a, a lens. And I stepped into activism completely accidentally because at the time I started teaching public yoga classes, I was the only black teacher. I was the only plus size teacher. And this, like, yoga has created this this whitewashed idea of what self-care looks like or what yoga looks like. And if I didn't have a mother who had wished she was a hippie, but couldn't, didn't have the time or the effort or um, the finances to, you know, be running around going to festivals and things like that. She was in school. She was studying. She, you know, she was married. She had a family. So she really wanted something that she could be a part of. And that turned out to be yoga that I got taught at three and it wasn't until I started stepping into these spaces and just seeing how racist these spaces were, how ableist these spaces were, how I wasn't seeing other people of color participating in a practice that had the ability to make them, to make them able to care for themselves, to give them um, tools to make better decisions, all these kinds of things. I thought to myself, I need to reach out to my community and say, yes, this is also a space for us. So I call myself the accidental activist. And then once I came in there, I was like, wait a minute, I've been always advocating for my people. I've been doing this my whole That's what we do. It's what we do. It's one of the stressors because like people always look to us to do it. And it always like when um, I follow someone like uh, people, yoga actually significantly intimidates me. And I like, I've always said this. It really does. My best friend, she has always done yoga. Um, Mm. and whenever we like, it just always intimidates me now weightlifting. And she always says, this is very odd. I was like, I will, I would rather do squats, deadlifts, um, pullbacks, bent over rolls. But if you try to tell me to do yoga, like I just seize up, it makes, it's very intimidating to me. But part of that is like all those group classes I take very rarely people who look like me. Um, and and looking at the historical aspect of yoga, it's so weird because one stolen, like for a European, like stole the whole concept. And then, too, in addition to stealing it from one culture, pushing out another culture, like when Black people, and it's like, y'all just going to keep making offenses, huh? Now, not only did you steal it uh, from this one culture, now you're going to completely try to omit another culture. Like, y'all just, y'all just don't. Yeah. Anyone else? Anyone else y'all yeah. want to omit? Anyone else? You know, and, and, yeah. Indigenous populations, Latin, anyone else you want to just say doesn't fit. And then, all we seen, like, even, like, body type-wise, uh-huh. I would just be like, I don't think I'm meant to be here. (laughs) I don't think think this is me, you know? And I I always feel like the whole, like the yoga industry as well. And one, it shouldn't even be an industry. Like this is, this is a culture's like holistic practice and things like that. But also like, I feel like very much the self-care aspect has been turned into an industry 
where awesome. it makes it like it has, it's a it's like a hustle right like it's like oh well you have to have this new outfit and this stuff to do like to care for yourself like or you could just watch this video on instagram and work do what works for you and what feels good in your body is self-care instead of they just make it's been changed into like an indulgence of like privilege totally. can just be yeah. like i don't answer my phone after eight exactly or i'm taking a day to just read my mail like, I'm going to go in the mailbox, take it out of the mailbox, make myself a cup of tea, and I'm just going to go through my mail. That's you know, it's, it's been so, like, every single time, it, like, it's tough because, like, in psychology, there's so many things in pop psychology that every other day I'm like, nope, that person's not a narcissist. Nope, that's not a trauma response. Nope. I mean, it, you know, like, ugh. Yeah. <sighs> you know, yeah. that's why I've been to, to like, to, to social media because social media, honestly, is tough. But I see so many things online and I'm like, I mean, that could be true for people, but like the way this person is sharing it is saying like, it's true for everyone. That's not accurate for anything. I always say the only thing I am always is black. That's it. Like the only thing I am always is black. You know, I am not always happy. I'm not always sad. I am not, sometimes I get sick of myself. I think a lot and it is, you know, like I think a lot. I'm a very, yeah, huh? Are you a fire sign? Because I'm a lot too. Now, I don't, I, you don't, buy I don't believe in astrology. But every time I say I don't believe in astrology, I say my sign. And I kid you not, there's never been a time where the person didn't say that tracks because your sign. And I'm like, <laughs> my birthday is, okay, my mother my was completely is, into it. <laughs> it's next Monday, actually. My birthday's next Monday. I just realized. Ooh, happy birthday. Yeah. It's been a rough year, so I kind of forgot about it. Yes, I'm a Sagittarius, Sagittarius fire. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anytime I say it, they like, mm-hmm. that tracks for you, though. Because, <laughs> I'm like, blah, 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 blah. I'm <laughs> like, I didn't tell They're like, mom, that's just a load of garbage. I'm like, <laughs> no, every, all, listen, all of my friends, there is not one of my friends mm-hmm. who does not, it like, and it's not even just astrology. They'll tell me, like, somebody asked me one time, what time was I born? I said, listen. <laughs> I, and I didn't have my friends since day one. And I'm like, y'all, y'all know darn well. I'm not doing this with you. And they're like, you're right. Because that's typical Sag behavior. Like, <laughs> and I'll be like, what? I know, right? <laughs> you know, you know, Raquel, she a typical Sag. You know, just, just let her go. Just let her go. She going, you know, she thinks, she thinks this is her personality. But if she knew more about her sign, she would know. And I'm like. <laughs> and then you were like, damn. <laughs> And I wouldn't even have to look it up. If, if one day I went up to my friends and be like, hey, do you want to tell me about my sign? They would be like, bring out a book finally. Okay. So you remember that time, you, you remember that time when you did that? That was because at that point, this was in this. You yes. Know? And your sign responds poorly to this sign. Yes. And if you would just... I don't need a book. Because in yoga, there's Vedic astrology, and that also governs, you know, the poses that we do and the feelings that we have. And, and, and it's, it's just kind of funny because it's this underlying, I'll put it in quote, pseudoscience that is in a lot of spiritual practices. So I think, I think it's interesting that you're not even, not even like a little bit curious. I would, be say, I would say the older I get, mm. you know what, you know what part of it could be? Even Tell though the majority of people around me are black and the majority yeah. of people around me, I actually can't think of anyone who does not believe in astrology. Mm-hmm. When I think of astrology, yeah. 
like coming at it from a younger age. I think of being in like a doctor's office waiting room, seeing a random Cosmo magazine while I wait, and then looking at the little astrology portion in the back. Oh, today you're going to meet the man of your dreams or the person of your yeah. dreams. You're going to do this, that, and the other. That's just garbage. That's so just- even though like she everyone does. around me who believes in it is black. When I think of it, I just be like, Something well, I don't know. Maybe, 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 you know, we evolve as we get older. Maybe my brain needs to evolve a little bit more. Right? Not, I mean, you got a lot going on, so there's no room for that anyway. Like, when yeah. you talk about this, that, and the other thing, maybe there's just no room for you right now. But your kids are going to get older. They're going to get some friends. They're going to completely leave you alone for a while. That's where I am in my in my parenting well, journey. Don't, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. It happens. They get their own lives and they completely leave. Um, I have a 15 year old and a 17 year old soon to be 16 and 18. And it blows my mind that my son is going to be 18. That, that doesn't track for me, but whatever he's a full, but he's a very responsible kind adult, but he's got his own life. He's got a car. He's, he's out, he's gone. He's doing it. He's got a job. I don't ever see him. And on a Saturday night when I'm all by myself, um, eating, you know, whatever I'm eating, watching whatever I'm watching, I'm like, I remember when we used to do movie nights as I sit on the couch. So I'm lamenting my kids at your kid's age right now. Like you're in the thick of it. I'm in the yeah. sweet spot. You're in the thick of it. I'm in the sweet spot, but I do miss it. I know at the time that I was completely overwhelmed and completely fed up and wanted to sleep through the night and don't want to see another diaper. And why can't you just do this shit? For I yourself? am so sick of diapers. At one point, like the whole house smelled. I said, I can't live here. I cannot live here. You know, I think I'm just ready for the next phase. Like my son is getting to this phase where he's talking more. And like sometimes he'll surprise me. So like I'm ready for the older phase. Like I love like my little one that I cuddle and stuff like that. But at this point, like I really, I'm ready for him to just walk. Cause I'm kind of just holding him, you know, like my back legit hurts. Like I just feel like I'm ready for you to walk. Like I'm just ready for like, and I'm also ready for them to play a little bit more. Cause like the the age difference is weird. Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm constantly happens. telling my son, "Hey, maybe don't give your try to give your brother pizza because he's nine months." It's not yet, not yet, sweetie, not yeah. yet. So you have two boys like I do, and um, I was surprised that quickly they fought with each other. So my kids are two years apart, not quite two years apart, just just under two years apart. And when Dylan turned about one, the fisticuffs came out. the 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 fighting happened, and I was just like. I thought you'd be a little bit older and it only happened when they were little. And then when they got older, they never fought. It's a, it was a weird. You know what? I always say, um, cause me and my sister, our relationship improved so much when we both went to college. Mm-hmm. I always say siblings are the, um, like friend, like the roommates you never asked for. Right. A hundred percent. Our our relationship improved so much when we, when we moved out of the house mm-hmm. and I, like, it was like a complete 180, but when we lived together, Mm-mm. It was, I, like, it would just, it would just be so much. My younger, my, my youngest, my oldest son is, his personality is like me, but everyone, every time I tell people that I'm like, but I'm an adult <laughs> and he's three. So he acts like mm-hmm. me at three. His new thing lately is that is ridiculous. <laughs> I'd be like. He hears you. And when he says that, I'm like, you're right. I'm waiting for him to say that's absurd. Cause it, like, I'm waiting for him to say that's absurd and absolutely not. It's a firm no. Like I'm waiting for him to say that. 
and you're gonna die when it happens because it will happen it will because it might be something and he said and he calls him by his first name to be smart he said brandon that is ridiculous Like your mouth drops open and you look at this child like he did the slowest head turn to me I'd ever seen him do. He said, "Yeah, what is going on here?" In my son's defense, he used it accurately. I forget what my husband right. did, and I was just like, mm-hmm. "He knows." Maybe You're he didn't move. Maybe, maybe he didn't move fast enough with my my son's barbecue sauce because you know we oh. we work for them. And he said, right. "Brandon is ridiculous." <laughs> I said. And then you don't want to laugh because you don't it's really want so to hard not to laugh because it's just like you are amazing. 100% right, though. You're right. And though. I think it's 50% you. So that is. makes sense. That makes sense. A lot of times he, I, I'll be like, well, he's got a point. You are taking a little bit of time with his yeah, barbecue sauce. Now he can have twice. What are you doing? Get him his barbecue sauce. Yeah. So, so you, cause he's you and the two of you gang up and then the younger one will end up being more like your husband, which is like, what is he's like actually already turning out to be more like my husband. Right. And then it'll be you two against them too. Cause that's how it is at my house. Cause the same things that irritate me, irritate Nathan. Uh, I dug out a picture of me when I was five years old and I had a picture of him side by side. We looked pretty much identical. He was just a male version of me. And we think the same way. It's kind of weird. And so we gang up on the other two. Because mm-hmm. my youngest, Dylan, is like his dad. And the two of us are like, we are, because I was like, oh, I don't have any daughters to like impart this wisdom on or to hang out with. But it still works with your sons. Like, I mean, honestly, as the, the, the sons are the ones who need it more. Right. Um, because, right. you know, I, I was just telling my husband the other day, I was like, we always... You know, we always celebrate these strong men. You know where strong men come from? Strong women. You know, like every every time, because my son, he was talking back, he was going, you know, going over on a tangent about something. I can only understand every other word. And I'm like, right. you are just, I just really love the way you, 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 I was like, you're so assertive. And I told my husband, I was like, and he's going to be assertive versus if he was a girl, he'd be aggressive. And right. my husband like, <laughs> and my husband is just like, it just never ends. He can't just talk. I just, I was like, I just want to point out that Russell is just like me and he yep. gets called assertive and yep. I get called aggressive. Aggressive, yeah. I said, and well, also because of this, we're aggressive because of this. So the white woman throws a whole tantrum the same way we throw a tantrum. It's a different, it's a different categorization, right? One of my students, she was like, what's the difference between aggressive and assertive? It was like a freshman. And she was like, I'm, yeah. I'm genuinely curious. And I was like, you're racing your gender. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Good answer. Good answer. Like when I carry on and start crying, pretend to cry in places where I want to get sympathy or I want to get out of something, nobody lets me out. That's a white woman trait that, that it never works for me ever. Like ever. If I think maybe if I just start to look sad and turn on the walk, I never get away with anything. That's why it's like, so why try? So if you already got a problem, I'm going to just, I'm going to just give it to you how I get to it. All right. Tell I told you that it was a no. So either get my product or, get out. or give me my money. You know, like I like most of my husband's like, why do you? I was like, because listen, bottom line, this is how I look. This is how I act. And it's honestly, your personality will bring out one thing for one person and one yeah. thing for another person, right? Yeah. Because, you know, when your skin is weaponized, people take it however they want to take it. So, like, most of the time, I'm like, some people are like, well, do you ever feel like the need to change the way you act? And I'm like, no, because I can act one way. And I get received amazingly. And then act that same way and the other person receives differently. It's not me. Right. It's the way people perceive me. So why not me engage in the way I feel the most comfortable? Because 
Why not? I know who I am because I know who I'm not, right? Like people saying like, oh, you know, that's disrespectful. I'm not disrespectful. So that's a you problem. Or, oh, that's being rude. I'm not rude unless you earn it. Right, right. I mean, that sense is like, you. you know, right. yeah, I always say, no. And when, it, how do you stick with your authenticity? I'm like, well, one, this, this took a long exactly. time and tears. Yeah. But also like, I very much always, I know who I am because I know who I'm not. So when yeah. someone tries to say something that's antithetical to me, I'm like, that's not me. That's not me. That's your perception of my life. That's your perception of me, but I know who I am. Because exactly. that's not who I am. So I think. And I, I am grateful that you have figured it out at this age because I'm 52 and I just figured it out in the last 10 years. So just. But you, you know what pushes it more? Um, the training in mental health and like I was seeing so many issues and I'm, I, would sp- I would have to speak out more because there was no one else in the room looking like me. Um, right. I think it also very much is like, the, high, the more degrees I got, the less people that look like me, the more stress I felt to advocate for people who did look like me because no one else was going to do it. And because right. of that, I just always, I, I, I feel like I've had way more experiences than other people my age of getting mm-hmm. pushed back um, right. and getting someone trying to talk down to me. Um, and I had to learn pretty quickly, just even for my own mental health, like, mm, am I, like when am I going to advocate and what am I not going to? I think it is more so because of my training. Because if you have no one else in the room to advocate for people who look like you, I'm gonna have to do it. <laughs> yeah, you don't have a you don't have a choice. And I feel that's what what's up for us for Black women. Um, something that came up for me um, recently is a white woman said to me, "We do not deserve Black women." And I had never heard a white person ever say that. And this was a relatively young person who said that. And I thought to myself we show up because we don't really have a choice. Like Mm -hmm. I would love not to show up. I would, when we talk about uh, in the mental health space about taking rest and how important it is for us to rest as part of activism, rest as part of Mm self-care. Whenever I hear the Audre Lorde quote come up about rest and self-care as a radical act, I'm like, yes, yes, yes to all of those things. But if I step away from the front line, who's got, who's going to step up? Like, will we lose traction if I step back? And that is something I think about all the time. I would like to not always have to advocate for everyone, but who else is going to do it? I mean, and what you're naming is like one of the, it's like, okay, so, you know, uh, let's say we're out and about and like everybody, you know, you got to wear a shirt or something. Like everybody has a shirt. That's right. Black women, what you're naming is just like the, the extra cardigan that like all of us own. Like, you know, and you have to deal with the stress of the world and like, well, if I don't do it, who else is going to do it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so many times people will talk about, and this is why like it, getting specific with your clinicians is really important. So many times people will talk about like, oh, well, everyone has stress. Everyone does have stress. In addition to that, I want you to add my stress as a black person to think like, uh, imagine the, pr- the process of people just have like, well, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? I have children in this world. Yeah. And if I don't advocate for a better world for them, who's going to do it? And it's, it's a very specific thing for like people who go majority and black people, because if you're a European American person, you don't have to worry about who's going to advocate for you there. You're always going to be advocated for. I remember one time when I was pregnant with my first child, we were in this mom's group and I was talking to this woman and she's European American woman and she was pregnant. She's like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about being pregnant. And I said, I sure am. I cannot wait to meet this baby. I said, I also have a significant amount of fear about having a black child. Yeah. And she was just like, well, what do you mean? And I explained to her about like, one, I keep having nightmares about dying in childbirth. Two, I keep having concerns about the fact that we just found out it's a boy. And, you know, I, I, I knew I wasn't raising, it sounds odd. I knew I wasn't ready to rear a girl because that takes a lot. But then I found out it was a boy and I was like, I don't think I'm ready for a black man either. 
Um, and them coming in America and being weaponized and, you know, even I don't even know if they're like just having concerns about that. And she said, um, I've never had to think about any of that. Of course. She's like, I get to just revel in my pregnancy. Um, and this is why I always say we're only as educated as the narratives that are shared because she was sitting there and like, I, I saw like the look in her face and she was just deep in thought, like, you know, pregnancy is already stressful. Mm-hmm. I haven't had to think about dying during pregnancy. I said, I have a nightmare about it at least once a week. You know, pre- delivery, having babies is life or death anyway, but it's very much like there's no joke. There's it's, it's life or death for black women. Yeah. Yes. You know, and just being a, just being a mom, like, well, not only do I have to rear my child, but like, I need to fix this world because who else is going to do it? We, that's- we vote in droves and that's why we're exhausted, right? Like we vote, we're supposed to vote. We say what we're going to do and we do it. We don't just say what we're going to do and not do it. We say what we do and I'm going to do it. We build coalitions. We, you know, make sure we're doing it. Um, and we go to work, we take care of, you know, take care of kids, we cook, we uh, like, we have, if we have partners, we got to advocate for them. And then we try to be whole humans and drink our water and have at least one vegetable aside of ice cream, and, you know, and then, you know, it's like, do you, and then also add that. Of course I want my, my clinician to represent me. Right. I just, you're going to get it. I just, I, I would love to know what the world would be like if we didn't advocate, if we didn't show up, if we didn't vote for people. Like when I look like at, at American elections and I look at the voter turnout and who turns out for change and who turns out to do the right thing, it's always black people and especially black women. What if we left you to figure shit out for yourself? Where would you be? I don't know, but that's not a plan and I want to be on. If we, if we figure that out, just make sure we got, I'm, I don't know if it's going to be Elon or one of them. But somebody need to have a ship ready for us. I won't yeah. be here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, you guys are going to figure it out. We're actually going to dip because we we also arranged our exit. But y'all can have Earth because y'all done screwed this place up anyway. We're going to leave. We're going to leave. Um, you know, everybody grab your, you know, grab your, you know, head wraps and stuff. We you, yeah. if you didn't attend the meeting. You are stuck here. We had the meeting. I didn't. We told you. Yeah. We're leaving. Okay. If your auntie ain't here, she ain't here. We got to go. I I would just love to see how the world would have turned out. And I've been watching a lot of these memes because, you know, I follow you on on, uh, Instagram. And if you are not following her, please, I share her stuff as much as I can. Please go follow follow Dr. Uh, Martin. Incredible. And of course, I'm going to tag all this in the show notes. I love that you just call it like it is. I love that you are out here sharing your work for free. I, I like that I get a little bit of therapy from you every single day, even though you're not my clinician. But there was a meme going around on Instagram where uh, it's probably from TikTok, where people are in a boat because somebody in their comments has said, go back to your your country. And then, you know, user is 7245321 with an avatar and no followers told me to go back to my country. Here I am going back to my country. And it just... I love those. And if only, if only I knew. I did this one thing because someone was like, why do you use the term European American? And I was like, because the people who you refer to as white aren't indigenous to where we are. So I'm not going to call them that. And they were like, well, technically Caucasian. I'm like, you've never met a Caucasian in your life. And I even gave a history lesson on where that term came. I was like, I, I, there's actual place, Caucasus Mountains. But you, I met my life. Yeah. You've never met a Caucasian in your life. And like, well, white is offensive. And I was like, oh my God, imagine, imagine being called something you don't want to be called. Oh my yes. God. I said, y'all came up with this name. Y'all came up with this. What do they call everything but a child of God? <laughs> and 
you know, you made up this. I was like, so I'm gonna call you European American because that's where it's significant amount of. That's I'm I'm you know I'm not I'm not doing it. And it was like, well, you mentioned people of the global majority, not people of color. I was like, because people of color are the people of the global majority. I want you to understand. Yeah. that the numbers have changed and everything and my intent of saying stuff i'm like oh yeah why do you use that let me tell you why yes yeah. we're not the minority we're not um and i want you to understand that i want to if you don't understand the term i want you to look it up most people don't they ask me and then most, my community is amazing with you <laughs> yeah my community is great i'll comment they'll ask a question and then someone will always comment google is free yeah <laughs> it is 100 percent. why do i have to do the work for you but that's how they've been trained yeah, yeah, that's the thing. And someone will be like, well, can you explain more? I can, but I don't want to. No, you know. Well, how do you get more from you? You can book me easily. You can easily yeah, book me. But like, I think people don't realize, just like you mentioned, I you choose what to put out in your space, right? It can be stuff that your followers want to see. It could be like, but it can also be stuff that you want to put out that you just want to make sure that that narrative is out there. If I yeah. decide I don't want to talk more about a topic, I'm not going to. And if you want me to be more specific about it, then you should book me. Like, that's not, that's not something oh, that that's difficult to do. You know, like, I think there's just so much aspect of, I was talking to my husband the other day and he was like, I, I was like, you know, uh, I, I learned a lot from people with how they choose to go through situations. For example, like I cannot have a question and not answer the question. I asked him, I was like, can you ever have a question and then just not find the answer? He said, yep, all the time. I said, I can't do that. Neither can I. If I don't know the answer to something, I have to find it. Um, and I have to find it on my own. And then I have to find, my typical go-to is three resources. And then if one resource goes against the three, the, the other two resources, then I kind of need five. Five is my star number for that. Um, and he was just like, what? I was like, yeah, because if I don't know the answer to something, I feel like I can feel my cells moving. That's how I describe my anxiety. I can feel my cells moving. I get real anxious. That very much is telling about me and like why I decided to do things. And it also is how I engage with the world. But some people, instead of trying to find the answer themselves, They'll just be like, I'm going to ask the nearest black person because yeah, that's their job. Sure. Right. Instead of like yeah. my, and when I don't know the answer to something, I try to educate myself. And then if I can't find something else, which isn't possible, no. it's not possible to not, find, I've never had an answer that I could not find the answer to. Um, sometimes I'll ask my community because I'm like, y'all are so quick. Yes, yeah, sure. I genuinely don't want to search. I genuinely don't want to search. Y'all just tell me what the best uh, vacuum cleaner is because I don't want to look, yeah. you know, yeah. but yeah. you can also you know, choose there, you a link. Yeah, I, I think. Absolutely. And I just, I think it's amazing that people just expect us to take care of everything for them. I had a fight on um, TikTok because sometimes I'm in the mood and I'm salty and I'll get back and forth with other times. Other times I just will talk around them. So I had somebody, you know, ask a question, you know, black people in Canada, what is the most common microaggression that you've ever gotten and so i sticked stitched it so i stitched it and i said the constant questions about my hair are irritating i've been wearing my hair this way since i was 12. so for 40 years every single week i've had somebody stick their hand in my hair or ask me a question or ask me really horrible questions like do i wash it and like just things that are just i i don't know where you get these ideas from like I, and i just said i'm so tired of asking people, of, of answering people's questions about my hair or where are you from? No, where are you really from? What you're really asking is why am I black? Isn't that why you're asking that? Why don't you just ask that? Let's just cut to the chase all together. So this person came into my uh, feed and was saying things like that. You have a chip on your shoulder. People are just asking because they're curious. Aren't we supposed to be sharing culture? I'm thinking, okay, it'd be one thing if I occasionally got a question about stuff, that would be fine. But every, at least once a day, 
very certainly at least once a week, I have to answer questions for white folks. I want to tell you something, white folks. We have always been here and we have had to learn everything about you. We've had to learn about your language. We've had to learn about your culture. We've had to learn everything about you in order to protect ourselves, in order to survive. It is not my problem or my fault that you've never had to learn anything about me. And in the 21st century, you are still asking these super basic questions, especially when Google is free. Why is it my job as a black person to smile and be a cordial Negro and tell you what you want to hear? Why is this my job? Why am and I supposed to be nice all the time? We did all that at the possible consequence of death. Right? All you have to do is, is, is Google or just not know. Yeah. Or how is it that you do not have a, a friend group or a friend in your group? How is it that you don't know black people or you're close enough to black people to be exposed to their culture? Like that is again, not my fault or my problem that you do not have any black friends. So you roll up on me and ask me a bunch of questions that are none of your business. And I'm supposed to smile and you know what, jive and shut, you know what I mean? And shuffle. Mm -hmm. So really, I, I do don't the shuck and jive too. I don't know if that's it. I say shuck and jive too when someone says My mother's that. been saying that forever. Step and fetch, you know, which was a character as we know back in the day, right? But honest mm -hmm. to God, why do I have to keep doing that in the 21st century? Why? Why am I, why do, I get those all the time. People fly at me. And there's actually this really interesting creator. And I, when I say interesting, I mean annoying creator on YouTube <laughs> who's a black person who has internalized her oppression and racism and is like, we need to be nicer to white folks. I'm like, um, so I watch her every now and again. And I'm like, right. The things that she says, and then we have a bunch of other black people weigh in on her being correct. I'm like, I am nice. You can take it however you want to take it, but I'm not here to shuck and drive for you. I'm just not. No, that's not your job. And honestly, your mental well-being will be better for it because when you constantly feel like you have to mask, that's exhausting. Like instead of putting energy towards engaging in the world and evolving and taking in new information and enjoying like even just social relationships, right. you're focused on appeasing other individuals who aren't, who shouldn't really require that from you anyway. Your well-being is significantly better for choosing not to do them. Because that's a stressor. Like some people think we're code switching, but we're not. Code switching refers to language. Most people are masking. They're changing the tone of their voice. They're changing their clothes. They're straightening their hair. They're mimicking body. They're not standing up while other people are sitting down because God forbid, like you think that we're inappropriate. They're adding extra time to their emails because you want your emails to be fluffier, like acting in ingenuine ways. And imagine how much that takes on. Like, and not only do I have to do my job of, you know, just being a human being, but I have to manipulate who I am as a person for 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Um, and at not, it doesn't even matter how many time hours it is a week. One hour is too much. So like you deciding not to do that, your mental health is, is is that much better than it should be. Like I get that authenticity is a privilege and I don't want anyone to act in a way that will make them lose their job. But I do want you to look into the aspect of spaces and acknowledge how long are you at, behaving in a way that isn't genuine to you? And have you taken the time to think maybe that's contributing to your exhaustion and your burnout? Because no amount of PTO is going to make you feel comfortable enough to go back to a job you loathe. You went on that one week vacation, you came back like I'm refreshed. And then two hours into it, you're like, oh my God. I can't wait for my next 
vacation, right? Yeah. And one thing I, I, I liked about the pandemic, um, that I liked about being pulled out of public spaces, is there were less microaggressions to deal with. I could call my groceries be at the door. I didn't have to interact with anybody. I could order food. It would be at my front step, and I didn't have to interact with anybody. So I found that my, mouth, my mental health in some ways was saved or improved because I didn't have to be outwardly facing the world. I could cocoon in my safe space with my family and not have to constantly be explaining myself or put on a persona that makes white folks feel more comfortable with me or whatever it is. I could let go of all those things that are necessary for me to be black in the world and to go along and get along, which is the generation my parents came from. And I'm past that, right? I'm past going along and getting along. I often say, I do not care if you do not like me. And if everybody likes me, then I'm clearly people pleasing and there's something else going on. I like it when people don't like me. And I also like to be called in, called up, called together. If you've got something you want to say to me and we can have a back and forth, I am here for it. And when I get something wrong, I will post it on my Instagram and say, yep, I fucked up. This was wrong. I learned this from this person. Thank you so much. And I will tag them and thank them for for sharing with me, but you know what I mean? I, do, I am tired of having the conversations and having to pretend my entire life, right? And I'm glad we're getting to a place in the world around well-being where we get to say, I'm tired of playing this game. I'm, I'm tired yeah, of this. What you're talking about is you being able to take off the mask and how freeing it was. Oh right? my God. Like masking yeah. is, is a costly survival strategy. It is a survival strategy, but it is a costly one. Um, mm -hmm. And when it's like a generational difference, I often state like, the older generation, you know, survived so we can thrive. And I totally get where you're coming from with the mindset of survival, but that's not my goal anymore. And, and I think expressing it that way. And then also saying like, thank you. Like, I, I want to thank you, mom, yeah. and all that for surviving so I can thrive. And I also want you to appreciate that I'm able to engage in this world because of the way you did. And I'm a, you know, you, I'm a, I'm gonna need you to chill because I'm not going to do it that way. You know, and everything that you did contributed to me not having to do it that way. Right. But yeah, I'm always stating that I can talk to you all day. Um, I do uh, have to check out because we we checked in a little late because there were some technical difficulties. I'm so Let sorry. me just ask you one question and I'm going to let you jump. What is your number one tool or maybe piece of advice that you could give our less our listeners um, in, in order to for them to experience intentional well-being, being intentional with taking care of themselves? Big question. <laughs> I, I always say that like self-monitoring is something that helps me every single second of the day. Um, you know, uh, some, some, I've heard people say like, it's easy for me. I just got to a 10 real quick. And I think it's very easy to get to a 10 when you wake up every day at an eight. Um, oh, yeah. but you don't know when you're waking up at an eight, if you don't know how you typically are at a three. Um, so I do a lot of self-monitoring with, with acknowledging like how I am on a good day, a bad day, a medium day. Um, I'll monitor stuff like my frustration tolerance because a lot of people don't realize that like low frustration tolerance is an indicator of a lot of things going on. Um, mm. One time I had an incident where someone took my, like a spot where I was going to. And when I finally parked, like I screamed in my car, um, mm -hmm. I was like, really mad. And I was like, wow. Mm. The same way we tell kids, like, I think you might need a nap. I was like something bigger is going on because it was just an extreme response. And if I'm like really snippy, um, uh, I get fatigued quickly, but I know that because I know on a, a typical good day, let's say like well-rested day or something like that, I can deal with frustration to a certain part. I'm, I, I get smart people all the time, but, um, understanding what your baseline is so you can understand when you deviate from it. And then also just self-monitoring to acknowledge how long 
you've been away from that baseline because I'll say that to some patients and they'll say, I can't remember the last time I did not wake up upset. And I'm like, well, that's a greater issue because like there's a difference between depression and dysthymia. Dysthymia is having depressive symptoms for two years or more. Right. Mm. And you'll go through phases of like ups and downs, but you never really go to like a baseline of what you think is more appropriate. And the reason why that's important to know is because then I'm coming up with a different treatment plan for you. Right. Like, right. you know, if you're having ups and downs. We're coming up with like, how do we do with the significant symptoms versus the moderate symptoms? Um, but a lot of times, and this is why therapy is helpful. We, the world is so quick and we have so many responsibilities that we don't really get to think about what is my baseline. When was the last time I was happy? When, what was going on during that time? Can I bring any of those things into my life now? When was the last time I was this upset? How did I monitor it? Um, I think that self-monitoring and then also expressing ourselves appropriately so that we can serve ourselves in the way that needs to happen and other people can. Like, we'll tell people we're fine when we're not. Right. You know, we have a range of emotions. And when I'm angry at an eight, I need a break so I can calm down and be more receptive so I can get down to a three. When I'm angry at a three, I can probably have a conversation with you. But if I'm not really honest with myself about what level I'm at now, I can't, one, I can't help you to serve me because you may be asking like, how can I support you? Because I'm going to snap. And then two, I can't help myself, right? So like we talk a lot about love languages, but I think it's also important to realize how you are during conflict. If I'm at an eight, I'd be like, Tell my husband, like, listen, I need to step back. Anything I say is going to be detrimental to this marriage. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, yeah. I'm not at a place to talk. I will be at a place to talk later. And understanding that that's okay. Because just because we handle different, you know, just because you handle needs differently and just because your mental wellness needs are different doesn't make them any less important. It just means that they're different. And I think sometimes people will invalidate different aspects of, like, oh, well, I don't need, you know, 15 minutes to calm down before I talk. I need to talk now. And I was like, I understand for your well-being, you need to talk now. And for my well-being, I don't need to talk now. And I'm not invalidating what you're saying, but we have to come to some kind of compromise or do something like that. Like, just because our needs are different doesn't make one more important than the other. But self-monitor, figure out the range. Um, and then just, I always feel like if, if you can't identify like five minutes of a joy throughout the day, even just adding five minutes of joy will significantly increase your well-being. And you may think it won't, but it really will. Even, I have to reheat my tea like 50 times a day but I do notice a difference the one time where I get to actually like finish the whole cup and typically that's because I finished the whole cup in my closet or um my my husband like took the kids upstairs but it's just like I got five consistent minutes and if you can't identify five minutes of just enjoying something that's that's a that's a that's to me a really big sign that something is wrong well thank you for that I thank you for making time for me I'm like I said before, I'm a huge fangirl. For those of you who don't know, follow Dr. Martin on her Instagram. I will link to it in the show notes and to everything she's doing and to all your upcoming events. We are gonna hook you up. So look for the look for all of this in the show notes. Once again, thank you to Dr. Martin for being here and make sure you're intentional with your well-being, everyone. Until next time. Mm-hmm.